You know, whenever, uh, whenever I talk to people in a marketplace environment about spiritual matters, when I think about it, um, most responses can almost be put or boiled down to like almost three categories. I was thinking about this through the week. Uh, firstly, you, you have some people respond, well, I don't believe anything. Who's ever heard that? Yeah. I don't believe anything. Um, and, and I understand that, you know, that's how people feel. The, the only problem is uh, it's not actually true. Uh, because what you're saying, in essence, if you say, I don't believe anything, is I actually believe in nothing. <laughs> Do you understand what I mean? I, I don't believe, so let's, for example, life after death. I don't believe there is anything, so I actually believe there's, there's nothing. In other words, that sort of paradigm, that thinking, uh, and everyone has got their right to their own paradigm, their own tree, they hang things off in their mind. Um, but that thought is someone who's living in a, in a closed world. Which is, you know, as in we know all there is to know about such matters already. So I believe there is nothing. And, uh, and the interesting thing is, the ironic thing is, it's often those people who have got those thoughts that call Christians closed-minded. Uh, whereas, uh, and I, I use this word, I hate this word, but I'm going to use it. Whereas a true believer, you know, because uh, you can, I've learned you can be a Christian without being a believer uh, in one sense. But a true believer has to live in an open world where all things are possible. Where we understand that just because we can't see it, or touch it or taste it doesn't mean it's not real. If you live in a closed world scenario, closed world thinking, then literally if I can't see it, then I don't believe it. Whereas in an open world uh, scenario, uh, you've got to believe that there can be more that maybe we haven't got to the end of everything yet. And just because I can't see it doesn't mean I don't believe it. Which is, uh, which is really good, otherwise gravity would feel very, very rejected by all of the planet if we didn't believe that way. Uh, the second way of thinking that often I, I think that you can come across is what I like to call like, I call it classic Aussie theology. But I think it's a lot broader than that. And it's this whole sense of justice, of this balance in life between good and evil and, uh, and of course, if I can just do more good than bad, then uh, whatever might be out there, I'm going to be okay with it. Okay, I'm okay with the universe because I'm not a bad person. <laughs> come on, who's uh, come across that? And, so, and, and, and the fact is, I don't think that's a bad paradigm of thinking in one sense. I think there's a certain amount of truth actually to that. As a matter of fact, every religion on the planet relies on the fear that this generates. From Islam to Buddhism to many strains that claim Christianity. Religion thrives on this thinking. The fear that I just better do more good than bad and then I'm okay with whatever I think God might be. And I think that's pretty common in our society. Have you come across that, yeah. that sort of thinking? Maybe a lot of us sort of thought that way 
even you know, before we encountered Christ. Um, and what I want to talk about today is probably, I hope we don't think that way now that we have encountered Christ. Because there's another paradigm, there's another worldview. And that is, if I could put it, the, the Christian paradigm. And you, you have to use that word so carefully nowadays because it just... It's been a misused word in so many ways. But I guess getting back to an authentic faith journey with Christ, the person who chooses to go on that journey, they kind of believe in these scales too. We do. We believe in justice, don't we? We believe in right and wrong. And the only difference is, is that we believe that that what Jesus did in laying his life down to pay a price none of us ever could have paid for the debt of sin, the debt of bad, the debt of brokenness, that literally Jesus stepped up to the scales and put his foot on our side and stamped it to the ground and held it there. While we stand back looking, doing nothing because we're powerless, to do anything to save ourselves, but our Saviour, this is why we believe Jesus is Saviour. He stepped in and he weighed the balance forever in our favour. As I said, religion relies on a certain fear of have I done enough because that drives people to perform for their religion. So, you know, in a sense, if I was being a religious leader at the moment, I'm cutting my own throat by telling you the gospel. Because we can be released from the fear of performance. It has forever been dealt with. For the true believer, you believe Jesus has squashed that balance to the ground in your favour. Therefore, you will never have to fear. You'll never have to be driven by a performance mentality for acceptance with God ever again. So it's gone, isn't it? Performance mentality. The need to journal to be accepted by God. No, you only need to journal to be accepted by Pastor Chris. The need to pray, the need to worship, the need to give, the need to... No, no, no. If you could have done anything, Jesus wouldn't have had to do it. And so we should be released for that fear, but I wonder sometimes whether we are. And, And so... I want to look at John chapter 19 today. John chapter 19. And it's the last poignant moments of Jesus' life uh, on earth, his last moments on the cross. And uh, John chapter 19, verse 30. And it says, And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. And these words that Jesus spoke, it is finished. Three English words are actually a a, a translation of one ancient Greek word, the word tetelestai. And that word, the whole nature of that word has a sense of wholeness or completeness. It is complete, in other words. 
And interestingly enough, it was a word that was often written on ancient invoices of the day. Once the debt had been paid, tetelestai was written on them. And the whole thought was, or the whole meaning of that in the ancient Greek world was, paid in full. Who's ever been happy to get an invoice on a big bill or a a, a receipt from a big bill that you've been trying to hammer down and you get that final one and it's like paid in full. That's that's a nice document to see. And this is literally what Jesus says on the cross. It is finished, paid in full. It is done. It is enough. And I just wonder, like, is it enough? That's the question that it raises for us. Was it enough? Was it enough? Was it enough for the sins of the whole world, for the brokenness of the whole world? But that's, that's one level. That's ever real. That's out there. That's a little bit disconnected. What I want to ask us this morning is, was it enough for you? Do you really believe it was enough for you? That Jesus has got his foot stuck on the scale in your favour and it's never coming off. It is finished. It is paid in full. There is no more left to pay. And it's interesting, but sometimes people struggle. They struggle with the concept of grace. Because what this means, if it really was finished, if it... Did you hear my voice do that funny thing? I better settle down. If it really was enough, what that means is, is that whether it's your best day or your worst day, trying to follow Jesus, then the love of God, the acceptance of God doesn't shift. Whether it's your best day, Or whether it's your worst day. As a matter of fact, you could argue that even on your best day is maybe your worst day. On that best day when you feel like you've actually got your ducks in a row. I've journaled, I've prayed, I've given, I've... Sounds like a Pharisee in the temple that Jesus said wouldn't see the kingdom. When we rely on our own strength, when we feel like we are a successful follower of Jesus, is potentially our worst day. Because it moves us out of grace into a sense of, I'm getting this thing done for God. Well, if you're getting that thing done for God, God was pretty silly sending Jesus, wasn't he? If you could do it. And we can struggle with this. On your, In other words... There is nothing you can do, and this is not a new thought, but I really want to drum it home today. There is nothing you could do, performance-wise, Christian service-wise, to make God love you any more than he does right now. Now, I think that we can embrace that bit, okay? But the flip side to that, the photo negative of that, is there is nothing that you could do in failing him that would make you, him love you less. I think we can accept the first half of that equation, but often we struggle with the gracious nature of the second half of that equation. And it's like, just surely there's something I need to do. Surely there's something. Surely I can make up for some of my shortcomings. You know, sometimes we trade 
sacrifice for obedience. Ever done that? You know, you know God's speaking to your heart about something. He just wants you to obey, just wants you to... But you'd rather actually... I'd, I'd rather serve, I'd rather give, I'd rather do anything. Just don't make me obey. And so we can struggle with this concept of grace. Your best day won't change his love for you. Colossians 3.3 3 says, For you died and your life is hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. Uh, in, in other words, and I know I've said this and I've said it many times, but when God looks at you, he doesn't see you in your brokenness, he sees you in perfection. He sees Jesus. If you're in Christ, if, if by faith you've placed your life into the hands of the Son of God, then when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees perfection. He doesn't see what you lack. He sees all that you are in Christ. Do you understand that? And, and that can be a hard thing for us to reconcile in our head when we feel like we're not actually living up to everything we need to live up with. And that's why we struggle with grace. How could God be so good? Well, that is grace. That is grace. That is the nature of grace. But it's an interesting how we talk about grace. It's unmerited favour, unearned, undeserved favour. But then we try and earn it anyway. At times. And that kind of, that sort of drivenness is what God wants to rid us or rid from our lives. Now, when we struggle with the graciousness of that, there is nothing I could do that would make God love me less. Uh, If we struggle with the graciousness of that, we just need to realise that the acceptance that we have in God never depended on our performance in the first place. Okay, I want to read you a scripture from Romans. And uh, Romans 8.3 says, For what the law, and I've put in brackets my interpretation here so you could see it, but what the law, in other words, what religious rules, if I could put them that way, could not do in that it was weak through the flesh or our inability to keep the law, God did. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. Here's the thought. If our performance couldn't get us in, what makes us think that our lack of performance could get us out? If our performance couldn't get us in with God, what would make us think that our lack of performance could get us out? Or does God require something more than faith? Without faith, it's impossible to please God, which means photo negative. With faith, it's impossible not to please God. So does he really want any more? Is it Jesus plus? And this is what the church, you know, struggled with right through the first century AD. Predominantly when the church was Jewish background, they'd come from observance of the law and legalism and continuously leaders rose up within the church that said we have to fulfil the righteous requirements of the law. We have to do that stuff as well as believe. And Paul gave his life literally to fight that thought and say no way, it's by faith in Christ alone. There is nothing else to do. Are you glad? Who's glad that they're not relying on their performance? 
to be accepted by God. And if you are, just make sure that you are accepted by God. Because Paul would actually say you disqualify yourself. You know, we talk about falling from grace and we say it's when someone sins and they fall from grace. That is not what scripture says about falling from grace. Nowhere does it talk about falling from grace attached to sin, except the sin of trusting in your own strength. Paul says, you who attempt to be justified by the law have fallen from grace. But we attach it, don't we? And we even use that. So a famous minister falls, runs off with his secretary or something, and we say they have fallen from grace. It's not the way the Bible uses that term. But to trust our own effort, to trust our own performance, we risk rejecting God's grace in favour of our ability to be pleasing. Which raises the question, why does scripture tell us to live differently? I mean, if it's all sorted and there's nothing I could do to make God love me less, then why should I worry about living different? Why, why shouldn't I just cut loose, man? I mean, I'm in. I've got my ticket. Um, it can't be taken from me. I've put it in a book and folded it press. So just when I depart the earth, I know where to find my ticket for heaven. I've got that. I can live like the devil. And of course, some people do. Some people do. So why? Why does the Bible say again and again and again, now that you are in faith and in Christ, now live differently? Now, John chapter 8 is one of my favourite grace passages. It's the, uh, the story of the woman caught in adultery. And uh, the Bible says caught in the, in the very act and uh, which is interesting because this time where Jesus was at the feast, it was the Feast of Tabernacles when this happened, where people would make temporary shelters all around the city of Jerusalem and literally they would camp out and, uh, and celebrate and be thankful that God had provided a place for them in the wilderness. So it was like this massive big camp out. Um, and so this woman gets dragged before Jesus, obviously got seen coming out of the wrong tent doing the walk of shame the next morning. And she gets dragged and thrown at Jesus' feet. And we know the story. I hope you know the story. Really quickly, the crowd gathers. The religious leaders want Jesus to make a judgment. Should she be stoned to death the way that the law requires? But Jesus doesn't answer. He stoops down. He starts writing on the ground. And eventually... Uh, actually after he says he is without sin cast the first stone so he doesn't say don't do it he just says here's the qualifier so he doesn't say no you can't stone her he couldn't do that he would have broken the law in that sense he just said well that's okay if you're without sin go ahead I'll just wait here and draw on the ground and see who I don't know whether he was writing the names of their girlfriends or not I'm not sure but (laughs) And so it says that one by one they left. From the oldest to the youngest, they left in in shame, in embarrassment. Realised, I guess, it it revealed their own judgmental hearts. But what's so powerful, and what we often misread, I think, is what comes next. This next verse, uh, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? 
Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Um, And it's really interesting because often we can tend to focus on the go and sin no more. As a matter of fact, if you struggle with grace, when I say, Jesus said, I don't condemn you. If you struggle with grace, you're going, yeah, but what about the next phrase? Here's the problem with that. Because we often think of that phrase as the qualifier for whether she would go on being accepted. Okay, yes, yes, Jesus forgave her, but he said, don't sin anymore. Who's ever struggled with that? Because it's like, hey, I try, I try. But I'm not that good at it. And I just wonder whether we're missing the whole thought. We're reading something into that. We're reading our performance mentality into go and sin no more. And we think that it has something to do with acceptance when I actually believe in light of Jesus stepping on the scales and there being nothing we can do, it has nothing to do with acceptance and everything to do with self-destruction. In other words, Jesus was saying, I don't condemn you, you're forgiven. But the way that you're living will destroy your life. Another place it says, go and leave your life of sin. So God's acceptance, God's love has been won. Why does scripture tell us to live different? It's not to be accepted by God. We could never live differently enough. And if you think you have, you've already fallen from grace. If you think you can, grace is not available to you. Pity help you if you think that you could ever be good enough or ever perform good enough. However, Jesus' love for that woman was like, uh, if you go on doing this, Uh, Number one, it's not the best way for anyone to live. That way, immorally, without moral. But I think maybe even just in the first application, in a very tangible way, maybe Jesus was saying, listen, uh, you need to stop doing that because maybe I won't be here next time they catch you. And there won't be anyone to shame them out of the room. They will pick up stones. They will kill you. So I think in the first application, I think Jesus was just being practical. In the second application, I think we just need to understand Jesus wants what's best. If grace is so amazing, and it is, that there is nothing I could do, nothing I could change to make God happier with me, then why would I bother? Because there is more to live for than human brokenness. God's desire is for us to exit from human brokenness and sin and all the stuff that that builds in our lives and migrate to a place of wholeness where instead of everywhere we go, we're bringing literally hell to earth and brokenness. Do you tell me what else adultery is? Instead, we bring heaven to earth. We bring peace and we bring life and we bring generosity and we bring love and we bring encouragement. Everywhere we go, we build quality relationships, quality homes, quality families that become a bedrock for a society that can actually live in a way that honours and pleases God. It's got nothing to do with acceptance and everything to do with self-destruction. The fact is, if God has standards, if we have standards, 
It's actually to protect people. If you think about it, I look at all, even just the Levitical law, going back to the law, it was all about creating safe community where everyone thrives. Not just the malicious or the scheming, the ones who could drag themselves to the top of the pile or the prideful or the arrogant or those with power, but everyone. Hashtag better together. Religion pressures conformity from without. The sense of of shame. You know, I need to perform. I need to be a certain kind of person to be accepted. A certain kind of person to... But when we understand our position, when we understand what Jesus has done, it triggers a thankfulness in our heart. The Holy Spirit within that triggers the desire, literally, to live pleasing, to migrate away from brokenness, to migrate towards life and love and healing. But you can only do that when you're secure in what he's done for you. When you actually understand the position you've been given, your life is hidden in God, in Christ. Shame is gone. Guilt is gone. The the pains of yesterday gone so that you can walk into your future free. Which raises some questions. Here's some questions. When you think about your personal foibles, do you think about letting God down? Or letting yourself down? (laughs) When you think about... Has anyone here got personal foibles? I mean, I feel like I'm the only one up here at the moment. Like, I'm just filling the room with... You're all looking at me like, I do not know what you're talking about, Chris. Come on, who's got personal foibles? When you think about those, is that... Do you think, man, I'm letting God down? Or do you think, actually, I'm, I'm letting myself down? I've actually been recreated, born again, for better than this. My acceptance with God, I'm not going to let God down because I couldn't lift him up. I can't possibly let him down because the position I have was given to me freely. I didn't earn it, so I can't, can't let him down, but boy, I can let me down. It's a little bit of a shift in thinking, isn't it? But I think if we don't make that, then we're always questioning whether we've done enough, whether we are enough for God. Yes, you are. Full stop. Because Jesus was. Full stop. You couldn't be better. You couldn't be more perfect than what you are right now. Oh, but I've got these big issues in your life. Well, welcome to the big issues club. It's called humanity. Whether you believe or not, that's just what it is. And so... Are you letting God down? Are you letting yourself down? What comes to mind when you think about that? Here's the second question. Am I choosing to live pleasing or fearful of living displeasing? You know, I've noticed over the years that some Christians, they spend their time trying to work out what they can get away with. I wonder if I could do that and God would still be happy with you. I wonder, you know, and it's like, if, uh, if there's the old life, I wonder how close I can migrate back to the old life and still be accepted by God. Whereas Paul says, find out what's pleasing to the Lord. Wow. You're supposed to be migrating this way. 
pursuing what what makes God pleasing so what motivates your heart a fear of failure a fear of of getting it wrong or a desire to get it right a desire to get in step with him to get in step get in flow with I guess what Jesus says the kingdom of heaven this shalom where peace and provision reigns getting in step with the kingdom of heaven rather than just trying not to get out of step too much. Do you see how grace actually calls us to a higher standard? But before it calls us to the impossible, grace and understanding our position gives us the motivation to do the impossible. I can overcome this. I can break the pattern. I can break the power of this thing in my life because I'm called to live not survive, not to get by, not to scrape in. I'm called to live. I'm invited into a whole new world. Here's another question. Does your sense of value fluctuate depending on how well or otherwise you're living? You know, your sense of personal worth, your sense of personal value, does that fluctuate depending on how you feel that you're living? And maybe the biggest question of all, Can I embrace and love who I am in the dark so that I can bring who I am in the dark into the light and be healed? Because while we're putting on a show on the outside like we're all together, but actually crumbling on the inside and not prepared to admit it, there's no healing in that. That's religion. That's an externally enforced, I'm looking the part Whereas when we can actually love who we are in the dark, that person of the private world, then you actually have more confidence, more faith to bring that into the light with God and let God bring healing to the things that you're less than happy about in your life. Is this helping anyone? It's helping these young people. Is this helping anyone? Mark and Kylie, where are you guys? Give the nod from the older folk you, on behalf of the older generation like me. <laughs> it's okay. I went and said hello to them earlier, so they'll forgive me. Um, you know, the, I, I'll finish with this. Just a couple of scriptures. Psychology talks about and has recognised something that, that scripture has always recognised. And it's put a great handle on it. It's called the shadow self. And here's a definition, according to psychology, literally of the shadow self, that part of us that's on the inside that we don't bring to the light. It says that side of your personality that contains all the parts of yourself that you don't want to admit to having. (laughs) And at first it's an unconscious side. And it can only be recognised through honest reflection and growing self-awareness of who we actually are. And yet, you know what? There is healing in that. Bringing stuff to the light, going, you know, God, I thank you that my position is secure. You know me inside out and it wouldn't matter on my best day, I can't be more pleasing. On my worst day, I'm not disappointing. I don't understand it, but I embrace it because that's amazing. I guess that's why they wrote the song, (laughs) Amazing Grace. And now I feel free to actually bring things to you, that shadow side of me, 
that I struggle to admit. Ephesians 5, 12, 15 in the message. I love the way Eugene Patterson puts this or Peterson puts this. It's a scandal when people waste their lives on things they must do in the darkness where no one will see. Flip the cover off those frauds and see how attractive they look in the light of Christ. Wake up from your sleep, climb out of your coffins and Christ will show you light. 1 John 1 7 but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another we have connection we are better together and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin hey listen this is what this verse is saying don't be too scared to get your laundry done don't keep stacking it in a cupboard pull it out and let God do your laundry He loves you. He's on your team. He's not offended by your imperfections. And he's not surprised by them. They've been paid for. Paid for so that we'd have the confidence to approach him even with our issues. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. Writer of Hebrews says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find help. Uh, find grace to help in time of need. And I've done an Aussie vernacular, the Chris Mulhair, shortened version of that scripture. It says this, Don't be shy. Even on your worst day, God's ready and willing to lend a hand. <laughs> Don't be shy. Even on your worst day, God's willing and ready to lend a hand. Could we stand together? And... Uh, You know, for me, I love this because to me, this is the gospel. This is the good news. You know, uh, join a church and act like we do. It's not good news to anyone. You know what I mean? Whereas often that's sort of maybe the message that comes out to our world. And it's only reinforcing this horrible scales of justice that I'm never really sure where I stand. It's only reinforcing religion. Whereas the gospel destroys it all and sweeps it away. You mean, you mean I don't have to go to church? I don't have to tithe? I don't have to pray? I don't. No. If you want a relationship with God, you might. If you want to fulfill destiny, you might. If you want to move into life, you might. But actually, you don't have to. If you recognize, man, without God, I'm sunk. Well, that's where it all starts. That's the main message. <laughs> that's the main message. And, uh, and I pray this has helped just set some people free today. Can, can I pray for you? And let's, uh, let's determine to move to the light. There is nothing to fear. You know, it's always funny, isn't it? It's a movie line. Don't look at the light. Don't move towards it when someone's passing away. As a matter of fact, that is the hope of the Christian life. Run towards the light. It won't hurt you. He's on your side. Come on, let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father. Lord, I just pray. I just pray for a freedom and I pray for your grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to meet people in their heart of hearts in this place, wherever they are. Father, what, whatever life looks like. So, Father, some people are on a hilltop and a mountaintop and are shouting for joy and thankfulness and others find themselves in the valley and others are, some are going down the other side of the hill and some are on the way up. But I just thank you that grace meets everyone all the time. No matter where we're at, there's nothing more we could do to make you 
more pleased with us. There is nothing that we could do to make you less pleased with us. And I pray, Father, that grace revelation would motivate us, would move us, would encourage us to move towards the light, to deal with the old stuff of darkness and move towards the light. In Jesus' wonderful and powerful name, I pray. And just while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, uh, you might be here this morning with us, visiting as a guest or whatever, and maybe, uh, maybe church isn't your usual thing. And I've just pretty well shared the essence of what Jesus is about, uh, that, that Jesus has really moved the scales in our favour, that faith in him means the past can be forgiven. All things, the Bible says, become new. And you might recognise in this place today that that's what you need. You know, you're just at a point in life where it's like, man, that's what I need. And I want to give you the opportunity just to take a faith step towards Jesus. I'm I'm going to get the uh, media team, they're going to put a a simple prayer up on the screen. And uh, it's a prayer of faith. It's a prayer that helps us express what can be going on in our hearts. But... um, you know, while every head's bare, every, every eye's closed, if, if you're in this place and you go, Chris, that's me. Man, that's me. I need to take a big step towards Jesus. If you recognise that today, I'm going to encourage you, take a step of faith. Just raise your hand right where you are. I won't embarrass you, but I'll acknowledge that you've raised your hand. You can put it down again, and then we're going to pray this prayer. I'm going to encourage you to use this prayer to open your heart to God. So just as I look across, come on, if that's you, friend, and you're sitting here and you're like, yep, Chris, I know exactly what you're talking about. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I'm, I'm tired of struggling along on my own and I need him and I want to receive him this morning. Just going to look across one more time. I'm not going to prolong it, but I want to give everyone the opportunity in this service. Yep, awesome. God bless you. Wonderful. Any others, I'll just wait a moment. Won't prolong it, but just wait a moment. Is there anyone else? And you just know, look, today is my day. I really need Jesus in my heart, in my life. Begin a journey with him. Fantastic. Come on, let's pray this together. And as you responded, you know, if you raised your hand and I saw it, or if I didn't, I want you to just use this prayer to open your heart to God. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life and I will follow you. Amen. Amen. And you know what? That's how simple it is. I prayed a prayer something like that. I have no idea what I said, but something like that 33 years ago. And it's been enough to get me this far. So uh, it's pretty simple. God makes it simple, makes it easy on us. And isn't it awesome that there's nothing you could do that could make him love you more? And even more awesome that there's nothing you could do that would make him love you less. Can you believe the gospel is that good? Is it finished? Or is it half-baked? Can you slip in and slip out? I'm saved this week, I'm not so saved the next. Can you do that? Or did Jesus pay it in full? Amen. He's so good.